0: 2 Thessalonians 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who, holds, who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit ...and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel... ...so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm... ...and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you... ...whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father... ...who loved us and by his grace... ...gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word
1: thanks so much elaine and uh, great to be with you here today it'd be terrific if you could leave that passage open in front of you we're going to wander around a little bit uh, in the bible today it's a topical series we're exploring an idea Uh, But most of the verses will, uh, from elsewhere outside of 2 Thessalonians 2, they'll pop up on the screen, most of them will. So that's roughly where we're heading. Uh, Most of us have been around for long enough to uh, hear of different end-of-the-world sort of predictions. Uh, You won't have been around long enough to hear this one, but in 1910, uh, Halley's Comet uh, was heading towards uh, planet Earth. It was named the evil eye in the sky. And it was predicted that it had hit the Earth, cause an apocalyptic explosion, and that would be the end of civilization as we knew it. Uh, No collision occurred, no apocalyptic explosion, but as often happens with these sort of predicted events, there were some sharp people who made good money out of it. Uh, So there were a group of guys who marketed an anti-comet pill and apparently made a fortune, and often it does happen that way. Uh, same sort of thing happened in the year 2000. Remember the big deal about the uh, Y2K bug and the thought that computers would uh, be so you know, sent into spasm by this that, uh, again, civilization would essentially collapse in upon itself. Apparently, $300 billion, I think it was a figure I saw, was spent worldwide improving computer systems to cope with a problem that never occurred. So we, uh, we did result with some... Uh, rich people and much better computer systems. The Hadron Collider, it's the world's largest particle accelerator, opened in 2008. Some were predicting that what was going to happen then was this um, rapid movement of subatomic particles would create a black hole into which the Earth as we know it would disappear. There have been lots of predictions over the years. Uh, there was a film called 2012 uh, that came out sensibly enough in 2009 uh, and it predicted that when the Mayan calendar ran out on December 21st, 2012, so the world would come to an end. You've heard it all before. You've heard repeated stories, different sorts of ideas. Uh, This year, as uh, tensions have escalated between uh, the Ukraine and Russia... Again, the sort of predictions about nuclear destruction of the world have surfaced again and people have been fearful that this was the beginning of the end. And, of course, Christians have uh, in large measure bought into these sort of end-of-the-world scenarios and predictions in different ways. Uh, those of us who uh, are alive in the 1980s will probably remember there was a book by Hal Lindsay, called The Late Great Planet Earth, caused cause quite a bit of dis- disruption in uh, different ways. And more recently, a guy called David Mead, he's a self-proclaimed Christian numerologist, I'm not quite sure what that means, but he, um, he wrote a book called Planet X, uh, 2017 Arrival. said there was a hidden planet uh, that would be uh, revealed, a planet called Nibiru, And it would collide with the earth on the 23rd of September 2017. Very precise, you know. And uh, uh, he said he discovered this in a secret code on the pyramids at Giza. Uh, We're not preserved uh, from these sorts of speculations. Now, here's the thing. The Bible does predict the world as we know it will come to an end. And it is very clear about it. And therefore, it seems to me but even though these issues arise, these sort of ideas get floated through regularly, regularly, it's appropriate for us, as people who have confidence in the Word of God, to actually consider what the Bible says about these sort of issues and reflect on what it means for us today. As Jeff said earlier, the technical term for this area of theological study is eschatology. You don't have to learn how to spell it All it's talking about, really, is the doctrine or teaching about the last things or the last days. Now, here's where we're going. Uh, Over the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, what I want to do today is think with you about the return of Jesus or the day of the Lord and why it's important. Next week, we'll come back and we'll consider the resurrection of the dead. And I want to ask, how does that work now? when people die and how does that work when jesus returns right the resurrection of the dead and why it's important then in week three we'll come back and consider what heaven will be like now confession here we're going to consider what heaven will be like because i found myself as i was preparing this series thinking i'd like to think about this a bit more so in two weeks time we're going to all think about this a bit more because uh, i've got an interest in this area okay return of the lord Resurrection from the dead, now and then, and then heaven. Is it, is it better by far? Why will, why will heaven be so good? Okay, that's where we're heading. Can I pray? And then we'll dig into today's topic. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God who speaks to us. And we pray that as we think about particularly uh, re- the return of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to this world, and uh, you help us to understand what it means and its impact on us today. Uh, we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible regularly talks about both the last days and the day of the Lord. So if we went to a place like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, uh, what we see there is uh, Peter writing and saying, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. The last days just describes the time between when Jesus died and rose again and when he returns to this world. In other words, the period that we're in right now is the last days. But the New Testament also talks about the last day. Right? Not plural, but the last day. So if we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, we're told there, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's the same sort of idea that Elaine read a few moments ago at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Remember how it starts? Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw a diagram on the screen that just just captures it in simple terms uh, what's going on. Right? resurrection of Jesus introduces the last days that's the way the Bible thinks about it then we come to a day the return of Jesus the day of the Lord which will end these last days period and will enter into the age to come okay then that's simplified but that's essentially the schema that the uh, Bible works with it and uh, the one we need to understand now I want to talk today about the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord. But I just want to make one brief point uh, before we, we go forward. The day of the Lord, it will not occur because of random forces of nature that pile up, okay? The day of the Lord will not come because we have too many greenhouse gas emissions and uh, that is what causes it. The doomsday of the law will not happen because uh, a human or humans have a brain snap and trigger a nuclear war that destroys the planet. Now, hear me right. I'm not saying that, that those two things can't occur, Right, that we could destroy the world by our lack of care for it, or we could do stupid things and destroy every person on the planet because of warfare. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, humans do not control the destiny of this planet. And the reason for that is because God does. You see, the timing and content of the end of the world has been planned by God uh, before this world was created. That is, from eternity to eternity, God controls all things in this world and the future of this world. They're under his sovereign authority i want to take you to 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 and just see what it says there. Uh, Peter is saying they, when he's talking about they, there are those that don't believe in God, essentially. He's saying they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Okay, so referring back um, to the creation of the world, by the authoritative word of God, right? This, it didn't just evolve, it didn't just sort of roll out like that. God, by his word, brought order and life into existence. He has authority. Now we go to verse 7 of 1 Peter 3. And see what it says there? By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. You see, by God's word, this day the Lord will be introduced. That is, God has authority over both the timing and the content of that day. He rules over all things. Now the reason I want to make this point is because if you're someone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you cannot be in a safer position than what you're in right now. You serve the one who rules heaven and earth and from eternity to eternity. And he is in your court caring for you in the midst of his sovereign plans. Do you understand? If you're a believer, you're you're the most relaxed person on the face of the planet because of that knowledge of God's care. Now, I'm not talking about your personality so much, but the security that you have because God does, in fact, rule the universe. Right? It's really critical to have it in place because it runs so counter to everything that we're told about living in this world and the insecurity about it. Okay? Let me move on. So when will this day of the Lord happen? You see that in the outline. It's the issue that Paul was focusing on with this young Thessalonian church. Um, verse 2, you read there, some were asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. Now, we're not sure exactly how they got Put on this false teaching that jesus had returned uh, but clearly it was unsettling believers and paul was concerned about this as he writes verse three he says don't let anyone deceive you and then he starts to talk about what will need to happen before the day of the lord actually occurs you know jesus hasn't returned yet he says um, when will jesus return and then what you get in 2 Thessalonians 2 is this checklist from verses 3 to 9 of um, a series of statements that really sounded quite complex, I think, as you heard them read. and That was the intention of having them read. Listen to what it says. I'll just summarise it rather than read it through. Verse 3, it says the rebellion has to occur first and the man of lawlessness needs to be revealed. Verse 4, he'll exalt himself over God and proclaim himself to be God. You move on to verse 6. The man of lawlessness is held back for now by God. Verse 7. But the power of lawlessness is already at work. Verse 8. The lawless one will be revealed uh, and then overthrown by Jesus. Verse 9. This will be accompanied by signs and displays of power, wonders uh, that serve the lie. Okay. Aren't you glad... That the apostle just cleared all that up so yeah you know, so easily for us. It's just so straightforward now, isn't it? You know, and you think, I don't. It doesn't sound that straightforward. It's interesting. In verse five. He says, "Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to teach you these things. I used to teach you these things. Quite honestly, I suspect it was probably a bit clearer to them than it was to us uh, what he'd been teaching." Over the years, there have been a list of speculations as to who this man of lawlessness could have been. Let me give you some of them. 40 AD, it was said it was Caligula uh, because he erected a statue of himself in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, 63 AD, Pompey, because he desecrated the Holy of Holies. In the Middle Ages, Christians generally thought the Pope or Muhammad or multiple popes were probably uh, the Antichrist. Uh, More recently some of the candidates were people like Napoleon, Stalin and Hitler. In and the 1980s, there was quite a strong movement, particularly in America, that suggested that Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States, was in fact the lawless one. I don't think it was just because they didn't like his politics. Um, but uh, here's the reason why some of them thought it must be him. Does anyone know Ronald Reagan's middle name? What it was? Wilson. Okay. So then once you hear that, you know why they thought he was the man of lawlessness, because his first name, Ronald, six letters, right? Reagan, six letters. Middle name, Wilson, six letters. Okay, 666. Six, six. It's, it's obvious now, isn't it? You know, um, picking up on some of that apocalyptic speculation in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm obviously lampooning that sort of speculation, And I'm not saying, oh, this is just too hard, let's throw up our hands and forget about it. Don't hear me doing that. Um, But I do want to say that I think, just like with the Thessalonians, it was an enormous distraction from something more central. So when Christians get preoccupied with trying to predict the man of lawlessness or the date of the return of Jesus or any number of speculations in this area... It's not the main point. It's not the main point here in 2 Thessalonians 2. What we're told very clearly a number of times in the New Testament, place like 2 Peter 3 verse 10, is that Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Now, over the last 25 years, I've lived in the same house. It's been robbed, I think, about four times, right? Can I say, not once did a thief put their calling code in my letterbox and say, you know, planning to pop in Wednesday morning to rob your house, be really handy if you're out, right? You know, like, never. Real estate agents do it all the time, right? But thieves never do it, okay? Do you get the point of what's being told here? The return of the Lord like a thief. We are living in the last days, There is nothing that needs to happen before the last day occurs. There's no great major event. We'll see lawlessness operating all around us, anti-God sentiment occurring across the globe. They are the days in which we live. And then Jesus, he will return. When the music went off at the start of the service, remember it distracted Jeff? I thought... I may not have to preach the sermon. You know, like uh, it didn't get louder, so I assumed I would. But, you know, that is, Jesus could return at any time. Nothing needs to occur. The more important issue is why is the return of Jesus important? Why is it so significant? You see, some things are factually true, but don't make any difference, do they? Uh, I was looking through the Guinness Book of Records and the world record, you'll be fascinated by this, the world record for eating the most live worms in 30 seconds. They record this. It was set by a man called Mark Hogg, right? Unfortunate name, I think, but Mark Hogg set this one in 1988. He ate 62 live worms in 30 seconds. Now, me having told you that, I'm thinking you're not all going to rush home and see if you can beat the world record. But this is just sort of, it's trivial sort of information out here. Jesus will return, the day of the Lord will occur. You can't say to me, oh, good to know. No, no, no. This is critically important. You see, this is the goal to which God has been driving his plans and the universe for eternity towards this endpoint. Back in two Thessalonians chapter one. Jesus' return is described as a day when humanity will be judged. Have a listen. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. Friends, God is just. Nothing escapes his attention. We don't always see justice now, though, do we? That's not evident in our world. So when will there be final justice? Well, verse 7, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who don't know God And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Our future. You hear that and you think our future is at stake. Our salvation is at stake. It's the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. All will be condemned. Who have not believed the truth... Have delighted in wickedness. See, the, the day of Jesus' return, the day of the Lord, it's the day of ultimate accountability. At that point, everyone will be assessed on how they've responded to God, whether they've trusted in Jesus, the one who died to restore our relationship with him, as Stephen was saying in the kids' talk, so that we might be forgiven. And can I say a wrong understanding of the day of the Lord, of Jesus' return has huge impact on the way in which you view reality. So let's say you're someone, and almost certainly there are people here today, who wouldn't regard themselves as being believers and therefore uh, are rather agnostic or atheistic about the return of Jesus, right? Uh, that, that therefore it doesn't actually impose on their thinking. Um, what does that look like i'm going to throw up a um the chart of what i put up earlier this is the map of resurrection last days day of the lord age to come right you don't believe in the return of jesus what does that turn this into okay well the resurrection of jesus did actually occur but uh, whether you believe it or not but then you enter into these sort of never-ending last days that is we don't We don't think that this world is coming to a conclusion, that there will be judgment that faces up, uh, that we have to face up to. And that reality changes the way you think. You dismiss ideas of uh, uh, any imposed sense of how you should live. You make up your own ethics and morality. Uh, When it comes to death, the jury's out. You know, I'm not sure if there is life after death, Uh, But if there is, it'll be compulsory sort of happiness for everybody. You know, it it becomes very vague and loose. And so what you've got to do, if you have no return of Jesus, you just invest in this world because this is all you've got. Uh, It might be that it's acquisitional for yourself. It could even have a sense of social conscience or concern for the environment. Because if this is all there is, this is what you invest in. Removes the day of the Lord, it changes your view of reality. But then let's say you're a believer, you can actually hit this space with different sorts of views. So, the um, diagram I've just put on the screen is, is one where there are some people who regard themselves as Christians, they re- believe in the authority of God's word, they have a real interest in the end times, but they have what, what's called an overrealized eschatology that is an over-realized expectation about the promises of the age to come being introduced into this age so not only in this age do we have forgiveness of sins uh, peace with god uh, confidence about being raised from the dead in due course uh, but rather people would say no some of the benefits of the age to come happen now Uh, health Uh, wealth in this world and resources, maybe even conquering sin in our lives totally at this time. In other words, what it does is transfer the benefits of the age to come into these days. When you do that, it distorts your view of life in this world in a whole range of ways. Uh, So here's one of the dangers. It can actually undermine and cause you to think your faith is quite... Unreal. So, if you expect that you're going to go through life essentially well and healthy and flourishing financially, and then you get cancer, what do you do with that? Um, you know, do you think it's because you've stepped out of the will of God? You're sinful? Is that what's going on here? Do you understand? It's very destabilizing. You overlook places like Romans 8 that tell us we live in a groaning world until Jesus returns. What you tend to do too with this view is you tend to idolise the world. That is, um, you think that God will take the benefits of the age to come and make this world shinier? The the, the focus, it's essentially idolatrous. It's a a fixation with what we have now, only better, and that the age to come will just be like this world, but better. Uh, It's very materially focused at that point and here's the really dangerous thing that when you come to talk to others about the Lord Jesus Christ it distorts the message you're trying to present because what you're saying to people essentially is that God wants to bless you now with things in this world that becomes such a prominent thing that's very appealing to this age which is so essentially self-focused and selfish you see it, it distorts stuff Um, what about us Uh, you may not have that sort of worldview i mean we we're serious about the bible so obviously we're marvelously well balanced you know Uh, hear me if you don't know me i have my tongue in my cheek at this point okay what where are we likely to get this wrong ourselves i'm going to throw up another diagram i think this is our risk we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We believe in the return of Jesus. We know we're in the last days. We know there's an age to come. Okay? But because we know the Bible teaches the return of Jesus, we can't know the day, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes vague. It becomes sort of a dotted line that will occur at some stage in the future. But it doesn't actually impact enough on us now. And if we don't have a strong sense of the reality of that day, here are the consequences. You won't have confidence in the face of death. There won't be any urgency when it comes to taking the gospel to others. I mean, who knows when Jesus will return? This sort of makes it all sort of looser. And actually, it's just like the previous year. If you have a vagueness about the future then this is what counts and there isn't a tangible sense of the future that shapes the reality now okay i'm just saying that understanding the significance of the day of the lord it affects you so i want to spend just a few moments just talking about how we prepare for the day of the lord how we actually see that rolling into our lives when you get to verse 15 of 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, uh, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast to the teachings that we passed on to you. I remember, uh, uh, it was a couple of years ago now, Sue was reading the Bible in our lounge room, and uh, just to herself, you know, and she, she looked up, and she said to me, there is so much in the New Testament about the return of Jesus. And then she said, do you think that we teach on it enough? Now, understand, she was using the royal "we." You know, she was saying, "Do you, Paul, teach on this enough?" Because that's meant to be my job, right? And uh, that's the way it worked. And I explained to her that, of course, we preach through the Bible and whatever it comes up. We do teach on it. You know, I didn't do that at all. But it's a good question. Do we have this enough fixed in our thinking? And how would we, we do it? how do we get ready for how do we stand firm how do we prepare for jesus first thing i want to say is that that we need to believe the word of god now i am paid to say that uh, but understand here in two thessalonians 2 do you hear that bell ringing throughout this text it says in verse 5 paul says i used to teach you these things verse 10 uh, perish because they refuse to love the truth verse 12 have not believed the truth verse 13 belief in the truth verse 14 they called you through our gospel verse 15 hold fast to the teachings Uh, i've been around long enough to see people wander away from the lord and uh, that distresses me every time let me say to my knowledge no one has ever wandered away from the lord has been regularly reading their bible regularly praying and regularly gathering with god's people you want to stand firm as you anticipate the day of the Lord, those will be the things that you hold fast to. And notice the particular teaching that Paul focuses on in verses 13 and 14. He says, God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our Gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet God Chose the Thessalonians. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, can I say, it's because God chose you. That is the reality. Now often this idea of who chooses who, does God have sovereignty in this or do we choose God, that can cause debate in Christian circles. There's no debate here, there's security. There's absolute security in knowing that God does the work to bring you into his family both now and for all eternity through what jesus has done there's security in knowing on the day of the lord jesus christ you will stand firm on that judgment day because you will look to what god has done for you and jesus and point to that instead of yourself that is incredibly securing now we need to hold hold fast to the the sovereignty of god and salvation as well second thing is why why hasn't the day of the lord happened yet back in 2 peter 3 verse 10 we're told the day of the lord It'll be like a thief in the night. The focus is not on the timing, but the certainty that it will occur. But why the delay? Why the delay? Uh, You'll, like me, have friends, people you know, who are just going through the mill in different ways. I'm in a breakfast group. Uh, One man has a wife who's been in a wheelchair with MS for 25 years. Uh, the other man has a wife who is suffering with dementia and she's sliding into that world. And you know, every time I catch up, my, my heart aches for them. You know people like that. You know the heartache it is to live in this world. Why? Why hasn't God brought the day of the Lord forward? We're told in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord's not slow. And keeping his promise. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone. To come to repentance. The day of the Lord happens today. then we all. Uh, come before. The judgment seat. We all give account. For our lives. If you've trusted in Jesus. You're absolutely safe and secure. But I've got a stack of family. That I know. Lots of friends who haven't taken that step. They're not ready at all. And I'm incredibly thankful that there is this window of pause so that people can hear the gospel and turn. I don't know how wide that window is, how long it will be open for, but that's the age we're in. That's the age we're in. That's why God delays. And then, friends, can I just urge you to live with the end in mind? We are preoccupied with the here and the now. There's no question about that. I saw a survey done in the States back in March, asked Americans what their greatest fears were, their greatest concerns. Um, Two years of COVID, right? Um, uh, The war with uh, Ukraine and Russia had emerged at that point, and America had really bought into that. So you think... And they're going to be right at the top of the list, right? Top of the list, they got mentioned. Top of the list. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's exactly right. Uh oh, it was concern about the economy and people's financial well-being. Yeah, that's exactly right again. <laughs> Friends, this this world in its present form has been used by date. That's meant to shape our thinking. A couple of years ago, there was a—I saw a television footage that came out of York's Peninsula after some bushfires went through. And on the evening news one time, one of the reporters was interviewing a couple whose house had been devastated by a fire. And then they were the... I always find these, these interviews quite intrusive, I think. But then they were this couple looking weather-beaten in front of their house that had just been raised to the ground. Smoke was still coming up from it. And the, uh, the journalist got the micro- microphone, put it in their face and said, how do you feel? I mean, you've lost everything, haven't you? It's just so intrusive. But I still remember the comment of the, uh, the husband and the father. And he said, no, that's not true. He said, we've, we've lost our house. We've lost every sort of physical possession we ever owned. But my wife and my kids and me, we, we've survived it. Everything of importance has been spared. I thought, what, what an impressive presence of mind and perspective to have. Friends we're heading towards the day of the Lord. It's often talked about as a day of purifying judgment. Fire is often an image that's used of that day, a consuming fire. What will be important then? What will survive? What will endure into eternity? And once you've worked it out, then you live with that priority in mind. Now, that's what we're called to do. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you that you're a you're a holy and just God, uh, Father. We thank you that you're also sovereign. You rule from eternity to eternity, and Father, we pray that we will entrust ourselves into your sovereign hand and keeping. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've made certain promises about your son returning to this world. And, Father, we don't know the day, but we do know the certainty of the fact that it will happen. And, Father, we ask that in the meantime we'll entrust ourselves to you, Uh, we'll enjoy the creation that you've placed us in, but more importantly we'll allow eternity to shape our hearts and minds. And we pray it.